This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Equity of up to £150 million. Pounds. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 108. It is Tottenham Hotspur 2, West Ham United nil, And it is once again a two-man weave here. I've got Scott alongside. He is at DSM Spurs to talk about this one. Scotty, what's going on, man? Chilling, man. Finally, we didn't fuck up against West Ham. It's been a while, it feels like. So, dude. Yeah, it does always feel like a bogey fixture for Spurs, but they got the job done. Uh, despite a what I would call a less than stellar first half, they they got they got what they needed in the second and uh, and got the job done. Um, and and that's what we like to hear and like to see. We 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 appreciate all of that. So we're feeling a little bit uh, decent about this one. Spurs have moved into the top four. Uh, Granite Newcastle uh, do have a game in hand, but they are a point ahead of Newcastle now. Newcastle are not going to play next weekend because they're in the League Cup final. So. That game against Brighton will be played at a later date, but um, nice to see. Nice to see that Spurs um, are able to bounce back after two defeats, one in the Champions League and then that loss to Leicester last week as well, which was um, really horrific. And we were feeling we were feeling pretty shitty after that. And and and, and then to, to cap it off with the Champions League game at midweek as well. But um, this was this was a, an okay performance, I feel like, against a West Ham team that is certainly struggling currently in the relegation zone uh, only by a point. They could have climbed their way all the way up to 15th had they gotten the job done today, but instead it's Spurs that, that make the leap up over Newcastle uh, and into a Champions League place. Um, let's start off looking at this lineup today, man, because um, I thought it was interesting. There was a little bit of rotation going on here, and uh, we talked at midweek after the Champions League game against Milan about the fact that Spurs are probably going to need to find a little bit of help in terms of rotation in the wingback spots uh, because you're basically working with Emerson Royale, Pedro Porro on the right, and Ivan Perisic on the left. And that was that's pretty much all you got. And I had said that we might need to see something a little different, maybe even something like Ben Davis in the left wingback spot. And that's exactly what we got today. Uh, we also saw Richarlison come in for Sonny, which is, to my recollection, I think the only time other time we saw that happen in this season um, was Richarlison playing on the left in place of Sonny was for the Leicester game where Sonny came on as a sub and, of course, got the hat trick. Um, mm-hmm. That was the earlier Leicester game, not last week's, obviously. Um, what did you make of this lineup? We had Hoiber and Skip oh, skip over Saar in the midfield. But otherwise, you know, I, I thought this was I, – I liked this lineup and I liked the idea of Sonny coming off the bench, which we'll come on to. Of course, he got a goal off the bench, but – um, impressions going into this one with the lineup. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, it was good rotation. I think uh, Davies at left back, I agree, made a lot of sense. I mean, we we maybe do or don't forget, but he played a wing back for geez, almost 18 months, you could say, under Pochettino, right, as the second option to Danny Rose. So he's very comfortable there and um, plays great crosses without question. I think he's better one of, one of the better crossers of the ball on our team, honestly. So, um, yeah, I think that was a, a great move by Stellini and, and probably Conte as well, of course. But um, he played really well, and I agree with you. I think the the, the skip PH midfield, I kind of expected because Conte really hinted at it in his last pest conference a week ago. Um, but I thought it was a good sturdy midfield. I think, you know, both of them afford each other the opportunity to breathe and roam a little bit when required. I think they, they're interchangeable and both move the ball pretty well. Um, PH is assist was fantastic. You're not assist, but um, the, the, hockey the hockey assist. assist, we could call yeah. it, right? It was fantastic today. And yeah, so the midfield rotation was spot on. And I do, I do think that Richarlison starting was a good move. I think. The interesting thing about Sonny is Kane hasn't gone down in a while. And, you know, Sun really has never been afforded that opportunity to be the main goal threat uh, for some time on this team. And before b- before he really became Youngman's son, he was much better off the bench. And, you know, he found a way to become a focal point off the bench a little bit more than starting matches, I think. And, and we saw that today and we saw that. As you mentioned, the last time he, he came on as a substitute and, and scored a, what a hat trick, right? I think. Um, is that did he score two goals as a substitute the last time against Leicester uh, that you mentioned? No, no, he scored a hat trick. He scored three. Was, okay, it was a hat trick. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I agree. Six two. At least, I, at least I think I remember that correctly. No, it was a hat trick. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it. You know, all all that to say, I think him coming off the bench is is something that could could be looked at as uh, a, a viable option going forward this season. I'm not saying every match, right? You know, you don't bench him by any means, but rotation with Charleston with Richarlison, I think will be wise. Well, and I feel like that was always kind of the original plan when you spent so much on Richarlison yeah. and I don't, I don't harp on the money. I think that's what you have to play or have to pay rather to get players like that to come into your team. Um, and, and especially when they're coming in as, what is essentially a fourth option in your three-man attack. That's kind of what Richarlison is. And the fact that he, the fact that you pay so much for him and he hasn't really, and some of that is through injury, obviously he, he was, he's been hurt a little bit. Um, the world cup was, was thrown in the middle of this. And obviously he had a, he had a fairly decent world cup as well for Brazil. Um, but I think that's, that's what, that's what it takes to get guys like that to come into your team. And, yeah, when you can give Sonny a breather, it, it was interesting. You know, Christian Stellini uh, made some comments after the game about Sonny's health, uh, and I think I want to call it physical health, not mental health, because he 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 did emphasize that his confidence is one hundred percent there, even though he has had a real struggle season. Um, but wanting to get him, you know, get him the ability to come off the bench, like you say. Uh, because he just, you know, sometimes players need that, that slight physical reset to not start a game, but to be able to come on with 30 or 35 or 40 minutes to go in a game and really make a run. And that's what Sonny was able to do. Um, and I think that is, there is something to that, not only physically, but mentally too, when Sonny has the ability to come on against some defenders that are maybe, you know, more fatigued because they've already been on the pitch for 60 or 70 minutes. 
I think that is a part of Sonny's game that is perhaps underutilized. And when you have that option like Richarlison uh, to start a match, because he's finally fully healthy now, it seems, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think Richarlison had a, a really great game, but the fact that he was able to give the club nearly 70 minutes before Sun comes on, I think that's the 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 part that he gets credit for today is that he he gives you that option to at least be the presence on the pitch that Sonny doesn't have to be for those first 70 or so minutes. Yeah, spot on. And yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot to be to be said about Cellini's comments and Sun being fatigued. I mean, Richarlison has been out for a long time. He hasn't played a game for Tottenham since before he left for the World Cup, really. So, um I think every every reason to understand why Son's tired and needs a rest as well, and um, you know I would expect him to to again kind of what I said earlier. Now that Richarlison is more fit, we would expect probably not a hundred percent, but close to it. You know, and when I say hundred percent, where he was before the injury, but um, I think we'll start to see the two of them share more minutes and Sonny come back to form through that. So, before we move on to talking about any of the other players on the pitch today. I, I do think it, it's a good time to kind of take a moment and pause about and talk about Christian Cellini taking kind of retaking over this club, uh, at least from a in-person standpoint, as Antonio Conte continues to recover from this gallbladder surgery. As when, when we spoke at midweek following the Milan match, uh, Conte was on the bench and then it was revealed in the, in the days following that he was going to need more time. Um, and I think we, you know, everyone at the Tottenham Depot wishes Conte well and wants him to get back to, to 100% health. But it is an interesting dichotomy now. We talk about Stellini and his quote-unquote 100% record and, and that in, uh, in terms of taking over for Conte. And that that even uh, goes back to their time at Inter. There were three matches at Inter where he, he took charge of, of the club for Conte. Um, you made some comments in, in our group chat privately that we were discussing like how it, it does seem like this club plays a little bit more of a pressing style and a little more of a front foot style when Conte isn't there and almost alluding to the fact that uh, there might not be as much pressure on the players. They might feel a little more free to make a mistake and not, and, and, and not have Conte's presence there on the, on, on the line of touch, uh, like kind of hovering over them, I guess. And Stellini made some comments after the game about, you know, Conte's involvement too. So I want to, I want to get to your feelings on that. And then I kind of want to talk about what Stellini said after, because I think it's a really interesting dynamic that these two have and an interesting dynamic that, um, that Conte still has from afar via almost via text during a match, which is what some of the things that Stellini said, but like, I, I do think it's interesting that that whole dichotomy and, and how this team has played in the, in the couple of matches that Stellini's needed to take charge they have it has looked a little bit differently at least visually on the pitch yeah i mean we we never quite know what's happening right but i know for damn sure that what is not happening is Cellini is not implementing new different tactics because conte you know is not is not there he's not sneaking one in past the manager right we all know this so it's the same tactics the same instructions um I think that ultimately Conte is such a specific demanding manager. He expects perfection at all times. I think the players historically that we have on our squad haven't always responded well to that type of management. Right. And I don't think they're 
necessarily responding that well to that type of management now. And I don't think that's on Conte. That's on the players, right? You, if you want to compete and play for, and train for a world-class manager, you're going to have to walk a perfect line, right? Um, so, you know, that can come with time. Now that has a big asterisk on it because with Conte, it's always about time, right? But all that to say, when Conte is not around, I just suspect that they don't feel that pressure to achieve perfection. And I think that's because Stellini as the assistant manager through through Conte, right? A medium, he's a medium, right? And really acting as like a partner as opposed to a boss, you know, in terms of his management style. So, and why I say all that, there is reason for it. The four things that we do when Stellini's in charge that we do that we do not do well with Conte in charge is our pressing, our off-ball movement, our interchange and our overlaps. And the, all four of those things come from wanting the ball, right? If you don't want the ball, you're not showing for the ball. You're not interchanging and overlapping because that's all about showing for the ball. And you're not pressing because you don't necessarily want the ball at your feet, right? So, and it, it, it's subconscious. It's small changes in these things, right? From manager to manager. It's not like Kane saying, oh God, I need to be pressing more. Like it just, it's subconscious, right? But I do think that's what we're seeing, right? That, that their confidence is high. They want the ball. And because of that, all four of those things improve. Um, and that's something the team's going to have to get worked out. But I really can't, using logic, come up with any other reason as to why we play so bad, so much better under Stellini. Because we do. I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's not a coincidence at this point. It's now a pattern, right? Um, and it's something worth discussing. I, I do think it's worth discussing. And it, it, there, are, there can also be a small sample size alert put on here you know it's been sure. three matches this three season. matches yeah um so so three i think phenomenal probably, matches but three matches well f- I, I i hesitate to say second phenomenal. half was phenomenal today. second half was very, was very was very very good the first half was was a little lackluster right. um but it's interesting that so the comments Stellini made afterwards he was asked about how things work uh with antonio conte when he's not there especially when it comes to substitutions and Stellini said there was a clear balance, and I'm going to paraphrase his quotes here, um, but he said there, there was a clear balance because he's compl- Antonio Conte is completely involved. Um, he, said, he said that Conte wants to listen and hear the coaches that are there, wants to hear what they have to say, and gives them some advice during the match through text messages. Um, and they ask him about doing things certain times, and he, the one thing he said is that sometimes Conte will say to wait, and that's kind of the only thing that he'll – he'll he'll say which is interesting because i think some of us have had a problem with conte waiting so long to make substitutions specifically um and there were some interesting and i wouldn't say early but early enough substitutions in this match um that 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 came through um speaking specifically to son i mean let's 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 be honest it came before the 70th minute um but he's he talked about you know how this is the, he he was asked specifically about his 100% record and he said this this happens because Antonio Conte is in charge not because he is um even though he's not present and i do think a little bit of that is is Stellini just being deferential to his his boss sure. um but i also think that Antonio Conte is still present when he's not there in a way that is very interesting so it's something to watch especially you know i the other thing that, that Stellini said is that he does not expect Conte to be back for the Chelsea match next week. There's an FA Cup match after that at midweek on Wednesday. And uh, then after that, a uh, match against Wolves 
uh, away to Wolves on the following Saturday. So he said he thinks maybe he'd be back for the Wolves match, perhaps even uh, the second leg of the Champions League against Milan at midweek after that. But we'll have to see kind of where it goes from there um, in terms of Antonio Conte's return. I, I don't say this because I don't want Antonio Conte back, but I want Antonio Conte to get fully 100% healthy. Like I want that guy to not have to come back and then leave again because he rushed because it feels like he rushed back to this mm-hmm. club too soon mm-hmm. after the surgery. And he, I think he admitted that, you know, it was too soon for him to come back. Um, and, you know, he was feeling it in that way. So uh, yeah. I, I, I think I'll, I think, you know, I, anyone, anyone would say that they want Antonio Conte to be fully, anyone who's not a monster would say they want Antonio Conte to be fully healthy when he returns. And I think that that's really important. Um, but it is an interesting dynamic between the two and, and obviously they work well together, but the subs I thought were not only key today, but they were interesting today. You know, they were, they were meaningful and ter- especially the, the, the sun substitution. And obviously it led to him getting a goal. Um, let's talk a little bit about Emerson Royale. <laughs> I think that's the next place to go because uh, I know you said you think he was your man of the match. I, I would lean, and I know Caroline wanted me to shout out. Caroline was not able to join us today, but she wanted me to shout out Ben Davis because he's playing a position that he's really familiar well. familiar with, but didn't didn't doesn't hasn't been playing recently. Um, but Emerson Royale was good too, and the wingbacks connected for this first goal. It was you know Royale scoring and Davis assisting, and that's kind of Antonio Conte ball, is it not? The wingbacks mm-hmm. assisting and scoring. Um, are is what we want, but Emerson Royale, it's so interesting. I was, I was kind of fearing that this would be too defensive a setup with both Ben Davis on the left and Royale on the right, and those guys really uh, threw a pie in my face. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were both fantastic today. I think Carolyn's right in shouting out Davies. I think I give, I give the nod to Emerson because of how strong he was in defense today. I mean he made three or four really important plays at the back too. And that that's, he's just, he's brimming with confidence right now. That's what we're seeing from Everson, Right. And I, I think it took him some time to find it. He's in a new, you know, he's, he's not quite new, but he's still in a new situation, right? Um, new position, new country, lots going on here, but he seems to, to be finding his confidence in his feet and, and he was fantastic today, but it was all about the wingbacks, as you said, I mean, both, both, did exactly what they were supposed to do, especially in the second half. I think a lot of credit to, to PH and Skip, as we said earlier, too, for allowing those two to to be so effective off of the wings. And I think, you know, Romero had a really good match, too, that I think allowed Emerson to be very effective. Um, Clement Longley did as well, actually, until he went down, you know, with what we suspect is not an injury, but just a little bit of a knock that was worth, you know, subbing him off for for. for for Yvonne Perisic eventually. But anyways, everybody was really good behind those two, which allowed them to play so so well, I think. And you have to give the nod to Kane, too, for how effective his distribution was to those two. two I don't want to say always to the wing back, but distribution that allowed those two to get on the ball and make things happen. So um, all in all, a great performance, but certainly capped by Emerson you know, off the back of his performance against Manchester City, putting up a really, really great performance today. We uh, we did get a question from Hotspur Sam on our Twitter account at Tottenham Depot. Uh, that's how you can reach out to us. And and he simply asked, "Will Will Pedro Porro ever get a game?" Well, he did get a game, and he didn't look good in it. 
Um, and I maintain after that, you know, after that game that uh, this was talking about Lester last week, that that was mostly for me because Christian Romero was suspended for that match and Jaffa Tanganga played behind him. And I thought that was really what hampered Pedro Poro. I would have expected with Romero playing in this game, let's see Pedro Poro on the right side and see what he can do going at a West Ham team that, uh, you know, is, is relegation fodder right now. Like they are a struggling bunch of guys. Uh, not that I mind that <laughs> I would, I would love to see them go down and never come back up. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I'm, I am, I am interested in the Pedro Poro discourse right now because it does feel like with as well as Emerson is playing, you got to kind of ride that hot hand a little bit. Um, he's not the goal. Look, the goal he scored was well taken, but it was also put on a platter for him. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. he had to do a ton of hard, hard work in order to get that. I mean, that's not to take anything away from him. It was a, it was a very clean and good finish. And, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. If you take away uh Hyungmin Sun's hat trick against Leicester, uh, I think uh, I think Emerson like has as many goals this season in the league yeah. as Sonny does. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's kind of wild when you think about it in that context. And I know you have, you got to ma- manipulate the numbers and squint a lot to make that thing work. But Emerson is contributing a little bit from that spot, which is interesting to me because I don't I don't think of him as an offensive force, but he's doing enough right now, I think, to keep his place. Even though you just paid a lot of money for this this right wing back of the quote unquote future. Yeah, I mean, first I'll say Emerson, what he's doing now is he's inverting. Um, and he wasn't inverting at all before. And that's, again, just confidence, right? I keep talking about confidence right now. But he's inverting because he's confident and it's okay being on the ball. And and we're seeing a, a different Emerson. That being said, you have to keep playing Emerson. I think, first of all, Pedro Porro does not walk in from the Portuguese league and start for any Premier League club, like you, you, you don't just waltz right in, right? Maybe a month, maybe two. I don't know, a couple weeks even. Who, who knows? But you certainly have a little bit of accl- acclimating to do to a much more competitive league. Emerson's been here a while. Emerson's form is fantastic. Right now, Pedro Porro is undoubtedly the the rotation piece, right? And that being said, we're at the point in the season where every match is so important. Like every single point is crucial. Every cup tie is crucial. And at that point in the season, you play who's playing best until they physically can't play, right? And they need a rest. So Emerson will start, in my opinion, when he's able to start. And when he's not able to start, then Poro will start. We we are playing one match a week right now, which means Emerson's gonna keep playing, in my opinion, and until there's there's you know more congestion in the fixture list, which is right around the corner, listener, mind you. It is right. coming thick and fast, right? But basically next week. In, Exactly. But I would expect Emerson to play against Chelsea and then Pedro Porro to play in the FA Cup. And then who knows from there, because then we have a really big cup tie following a Premier League match against AC Milan. So that's uh, on Conte and not us, fortunately, you know, for for us. But um, I would fully expect Emerson to play against Chelsea. And then, like I said, Porro in the FA Cup. Going back for just a second to comments that Stellini made after the match, he was asked about Emerson and and his form really going in an upward direction since the signing of Pedro Poro and Stellini dismissed that. He said, he doesn't think that the two are linked. Um, he says that this is the kind of performance that we, we got from Emerson at the start of the season and kind of linked it to, he actually linked it a little bit to uh, him picking up the red card against Arsenal. 
and serving the three match ban and kind of re- having to reset, especially with a World Cup in the middle of everything, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an interesting way to look sure. at it as well. Um, you know, I am the first to say I think Emerson is a really good defensive right back. I don't think he's a really good right wing back in a Conte attacking system. But if he wants to continue to prove me wrong like he did today, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, and I will I will get down with it. The other interesting call that I wanted to talk about today was Oliver Skip over uh, Pap, Pap Sar, who who did come on for, for Skip late in the match. But um, we know for right now, Spurs are kind of operating in a world where they really only have the three healthy wingbacks, or excuse me, uh, midfielders uh, in Hoybier, Skip, and Sar. Bentoncourt is hurt. Basuma is hurt. Um, I don't even know if there's anyone else you would really throw into that mix right now. Um, I know there were rumors crazy rumors to me about Eric Dyer maybe stepping up into the midfield, but I don't, I don't want any part of that. Um, what did you make of Skip's performance? Cause I thought he was good. And Stellini had some comments about him after the match as well. And in talking about how impressed he was, especially after he picked up an early booking in this match, um, you know, he was booked yeah. in the ninth minute uh, on, on kind of a, one of those, one of those fouls where you make a bad pass and then you, 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 make the mistake even more compact by jumping in for a foul to try and make up for your, for your mistake pass. Uh, I thought Skippy played really, really well, even though I would have almost preferred to see star start just from a, from a personal standpoint, uh, because I'm so intrigued by Sar. but I, I also really appreciate the job that Skippy did in this game too. Yeah. Skip was great. I mean, I think one thing that's easy to forget is skip and PH were, the preferred pairing when Conte came to Spurs for quite some time. Um, and Bentaker was signed. Skip went down with an injury. Bentaker started playing really well, and Skip never really recovered from that injury. So um, I think as soon as Skip can get back to full fitness, we'll see him get a ton of minutes. And I think I also am very excited by Saar, but Saar and PEH both tend to pull and stretch their position a little bit. Um, and I don't think that's a pairing that would bode well for us defensively. I think Skip is really the the most organized, controlled defensive midfielder that we have. He can even be a deep-lying playmaker. Bentaker does a pretty good job of staying in position as well and being that metronome, right? But Skip's good at it. So, um, yeah, I think we'll see Skip get a ton of minutes until, until Bentaker returns, if I'm honest. Which obviously will not be until next season um, yep. with, with Bentinger's injury. I think it's interesting that the, the comment you make about Skip getting back to full fitness. I think a lot of people forget that this is a guy that has dealt with some really nagging stuff and some really some really hard injury luck. I mean, yeah, let's start to cut you off, but let's like let's just go through the the thought process of a twenty one year old who is broken into the first team aggressively, right? And he's playing for Conte, and Conte's in press conferences. I'm every single match, no exaggeration. I can trust Skippy so much. Skippy's a player I can trust, and he was starting every match with PEH, right? That your dreams are in front of you at this point. You suffer a serious injury to a really important part of your body in soccer, and then a Rodrigo Bentaker from Juventus, who is you know a very class midfielder, comes in, starts playing your position because you're injured, is on fire, undroppable. And you can't get back to fitness. Like you go from so high to so low in a matter of weeks, right? That is really fucking hard to come back from. And we have so many people who just sit here and watch on TV and don't think about the fact that human beings have like 
a mental process to deal with in 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 what we're seeing every day, right? As a Tottenham fan, so I don't know that maybe that was a mouthful, but I, th- I hope you understand my point. So I just no, think I, Skip. Oh, good. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I'll I'll be the first to admit that when Skip got hurt, my immediate fear went to and and my mindset went to Harry Winks, and and I don't mm-hmm. say that as a dig on Harry Winks, but Harry Winks suffered some of those those similar types of muscular uh, lower body injuries that you fear are going to hamper a guy's development and career long term and i feel like that's what happened i feel like harry winks was a very talented and is could could still be a very talented footballer um but i feel like injuries are what really hampered his development and what led him to you know, not seeing enough of the pitch and eventually having to go out on loan. And and that's what he's doing now. I, that That's kind of, I think, where my fear went with Oliver Skip. I was thinking, oh, gosh, we've got Harry Winks 2.0 on our hands. And maybe we don't. Maybe that's, you know, I'm going to wear that. Maybe that's my fault for just immediately thinking that. Maybe this guy can get back to a level of fitness and a level of play, more importantly, um, than, you know, showing it on the pitch. And maybe this was today was a, a start of that, perhaps. That would be really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, we 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 look at the championship as like less than right at times, but as an as a nineteen year old, he was in the championship team of the season. I mean, that is that is a serious thing, right? Hit, nor ask any Norwich fan; they will tell you that he was the lifeblood of that championship season of theirs, right? So, um, there's a real player there, and as much as I hate saying something like this, I think Rodrigo Bentiker going down might be the best thing that ever happened to Oliver Skip. Um, and I'll, I'll look forward to continue to see him get minutes for sure. So Definitely not the best thing to happen to Tottenham Hotspur, but maybe for Skip no, personally, yes. Probably <laughs> yes, not, that, no. But be, yes, for my, yeah, yeah, it could for be my boy Ollie, it's a good deal. Yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Um, I, wanna, I want to uh, talk a little bit about Fraser Forster as well because I thought he had a decent game after – what has been a, I'll call it a slow start to his tenure as, you know, leading this team from 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 the goalkeeper spot since uh, Hugo Lloris went down. I thought, I thought he along with the back line for the most part played well. And this kind of goes back to the Christian Romero thing too. I think that part of what makes Christian Romero so good, and this actually goes back to your point when you talk about kind of how this team plays under Stellini. You know, this team does seem to get more of the overlap and the attack and the press uh, under Cellini. But I also think a lot of that today had to do with the job that Christian Romero was able to do from the center back spot. There were a lot of times where he was in the opposition box or at least running toward it um, from, from the right center back spot. And that's what he does when this team is able to possess the ball a lot. He doesn't have a lot of defensive responsibility and don't get me wrong. Christian Romero is not a, he's not a winger. He's not a striker. He's not going to be a goal scorer. But when he can press and operate with whoever the right wing back is, whether it's Emerson, whether it's maybe eventually Pedro Porro, um, and can also operate a little bit with the right wing. Um, and I do want to come on to talk about that guy too, because Kulisewski needs to be spoken about a little bit here. But the back line between Forster and then Dyer doing his defensive work, we had Longley and then Romero able to get forward. I like all of the way that 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 foursome operated uh, against a West Ham team that, you know, look, I mean, West Ham 
Bowen had a shot in the first minute or two that that mm-hmm. really easily could have put us down one nil. Um, yep. But from that point on, I don't think West Ham had much of a chance to score. No, I mean the defense was fantastic today, which made Fraser Forrester's life a lot easier. And our for every match Fraser's played in, our team has been shit, like absolute dog shit. So I don't know. I mean, I I think that he's probably a little bit better than what we've seen, and maybe today shows that. Um, that's probably you know lo- looking looking and finding what I want to see at that point. But I do believe that he can be better than what we've seen. And I do hope that today shows us that. And, and again, all credit to you for saying a few times, I think over the last couple of weeks that pay attention to that shit defense sitting in front of that guy that can't stop the ball. Right. So. Well, and like I said, like I said, when the Pedro Poro thing happened last week against Lester, I mean, no offense to Jaffa Tanganga, but he is not Christian Romero in terms of his possession skills and even his defensive skills. The thing I've dug Christian Romero out on is his disciplinary skills or lack thereof. The fact that, mm-hmm. you know, the reason he wasn't there last week against Leicester was because he picked up the red card the prior week against City. And that's his problem. When he's there, mm-hmm. he can play well, not only defensively, but he can press and get things going forward offensively. Um, which is something I think that is really key for this team if they want to be successful and and have a lot of possession. I did, I actually didn't even I didn't even look at the possession numbers today because I wasn't really worried about them. But Spurs had the ball fifty fifty seven percent of the time, which I mm-hmm. think is right around where they want to be in a match like this against West Ham. I think that's you know we think of Spurs as more of a sit back and counter attack team, play solid defense, give the op- opposition the ball. I think that's the way a, a lot of people would think about Spurs, but. If you're playing in this way against a lesser team like West Ham, I think 57%, 57, 58, 59% is right around where you would want to be in terms of possession. And I think Cudi Romero being in that back line and helping out all of these things, I think that's what helps that happen. Yep. No, I fully agree. Um, Kulisevsky was, other than, other than, I thought Richarlison was maybe the, 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 the most disappointing part of Spurs team today. Kulisevsky might have been next in line i don't i and i'm not gonna dig the guy out i'm not gonna dig either of them out i think there's a lot of a lot that goes into this a lot of fatigue a lot of a lot of matches a lot of minutes being put on these guys um uh bodies and, and their legs right now but but with kulisevsky is there is there an opportunity that we see in a similar way that sun was given the ability to come off the bench today i would love to see maybe you know someone else get that stuff maybe if it's uh if it's Danjuma to come in and I'm not saying for next week against Chelsea because that, because of how big that match is now. Um, but, but I would love to see an opportunity for, for Kulisevsky to also come off the bench at some point rather than having to start and play uh, almost a full match every week. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, I think, you know, both of them were quiet today. I do think the wingbacks were loud, which, I don't think you'll always find that both of those positions were super loud in a given match, right? I think maybe one can overshadow the other a little bit. So I won't sit here and say they both had a terrible game, but what I will say is that their end product was not there. Um, Their positioning was fine. Their spacing was fine. I think kind of what I was just getting at, they allowed the wingbacks to do what they needed to do, right? Which is a key part of that position, but the end product was lacking. And like you said, it's probably fatigue. Um, and I do agree that rotation is is the antidote to that fatigue, and we'll start to see some more rotation, I think, as as uh, you know, Richarlison comes back to fitness and Dan Juma settles in. Um, 
Now, Juma looked good in the FA Cup, right? He's looked lively in, in his one cameo beyond the FA Cup appearance, um, which I think was against Leicester, right? But tough result, but, you know, somewhat bright cameo from him, but he's still got a lot of settling and learning to do before he's ready to start a match. So we just need to get a, as many guys back to fitness as humanly possible, as fast as possible, and guys settled in so that we can get some more rotation and um, we'll be better for it. Well, and the other factor to all of this is the guy that actually, it wasn't Dan Juma that came on for Kulisevsky late in this match against West Ham. Oh, it, was yeah. actually, it was actually Lucas Mora, of all people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's Yeah, and I, I, I had not realized this. I think Lucas Mora has just kind of gone into the back of a lot of people's minds because I think a lot of people expect him to leave at the end of the season. It was rumored that he might even be departing in January, but still coming back from the injury woes that he's dealt with all season long. This was Lucas Moore's first appearance since November 12th against Leeds. Uh, and he only played one minute in that game. Prior to that, it was uh, the, the the previous game where he only played two minutes against Liverpool. The, fir- the, the last time he had a real run out was against Marseille on November 1st uh, when he started and played 89 minutes. So um, he has not been present at all this season, really. He's played nine games total. Um, maybe Lucas Moore can come on and give us anything as a as a 30 year old winger who can be pacey and run run at people and and do something i just as a body i'm 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 totally done with that i don't I, i'm not expecting anything out of lucas mora for the rest of the season but maybe if he's finally getting to full health he can be yep. a presence in that front line to at least give some guys a breather especially if you're if we're talking about with 20 25 minutes to go when you're up two nil at home against a west ham like this today like that maybe i would have even liked to see him come on sooner i don't know where he is physically but um maybe that's something to look forward to maybe even for example in the fa cup uh midweek next week against sheffield united maybe lucas can get a start there perhaps and get a full run we know he played uh toward the end of the window for i think it was like the under 23 team or the under 19 Mm -hmm. team or something um and and i believe he even scored in that match so um, maybe he's a guy that can come back and start to give this team a little bit more depth in that front line, just so we're just so we don't have to see Son Kane Kulisevsky every single week. We can mix with Charleston and we can mix down Juma in and maybe even mix Lucas Mora into that mix just to get these guys off off the well, field a little bit. 100%. And the biggest reason why Lucas could even be more important beyond Dan Juma is that we, we have not talked about Harry Kane getting a rest at all. I think we're just like we're grazing over the fact and I'm not saying we are grazing over the fact, but all of us fans as Tottenham fans are grazing over the fact that as we look at this run of fixtures and all the rotation we're asking for, Kane's expected to just play all of those matches. So at some point, I would expect that Richarlison needs to start instead of Kane. Um, We will see. We know we all know that Harry Kane does not favor the bench. Yeah, I was gonna say see. you don't really think that's happening, do you? No, no, no. The only time I can maybe see Kane getting a rest is coming off early against Sheffield. But if I'm if I'm in charge against Sheffield, I stick Kane out there, I get a fucking goal or two, and then I pull him off in an ideal world, right? I'm glad you brought up Kane because we did not um we did not really speak about the fact that he was honored prior to this match with a uh a little boot trophy looking thing from the club for becoming the club's all-time leading scorer. He, he got a big TIFO in the South stand, which was really cool. It spelled out Harry um, did not score in this match, but did have the assist on son's goal, which was brilliant. It was a brilliant Harry to, to son connection once again. Um, and, and also just 
you know, that was the goal. That was the, the where he got the assist with the sun. He also delivered that other pass to, I want to say it might've been Richarlison over the top. That was just brilliant. He, the, the guy is so complete as a footballer. We, and we talk all the time about him being a goal scorer, but just the assist that he, he put in, in this match today was so crucial to getting the cushion that, that this team needed to get over the line. You know, that goal um, from Sonny, you know, it, it, it came in the 72nd minute that, that gives you the final 20 minutes or so of that match to have a breath because you're, you're you you do not have to protect a one nil lead and, and make it th- once you get to two nil, honestly, that game felt done and dusted for me. And that is so crucial. And I just think that, um, uh, you know, it's not something that Spurs fans don't know that if I tell you, Harry Kane's not only a great goal scorer, he's also a great passer and a, just a great overall playmaker. It's not anything that, that none of us know, don't know. Um, but I just think it needs to be emphasized because it's not something that we talk about probably as much as we need to. Yeah. I mean, he, he set a record that will not be broken for a very, very long time. Um, especially in the modern age, right? Where, where you don't stick around very long for, at certain teams. So, um, yeah, he's, he's infamous. And I think that goal today, the assist from Kane, it's on the half volley. He, he somehow on the half volley gets it. He, he plays it to a point where it's settled by the time it gets the sun, right? There's no, there's no bounce in that ball on the half volley. Um, the touch was immaculate too, but the, that goal, very few combinations of players can score that goal. It's just, it's such, it's such precise, precise, uh, you know, such a precise pass and a precise touch and, and finish and, you know, uh, a world-class goal. So it's really, it's really incredible to watch the guy every week. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's a joy and a pleasure. Um, let's look ahead a little bit before we get out of here. As I mentioned, Chelsea next week, uh, Sheffield United in the cup at midweek and then wolves. I want to specifically talk about Chelsea though, because my goodness, I know, I know people realize that Chelsea have been struggling this season, uh, despite spending all of the money, not, not just some of the money, all of the money, but Chelsea currently sit 10th. They are 11 points behind Spurs right now in the table. And I was just looking at their fixtures. You know, Chelsea have won one time since uh, the new year. Uh, They they won on January 15th over Palace. Uh, Since then, uh, a goalless draw against against Liverpool, a goalless draw against Fulham, a 1-1 draw against this very West Ham team that Spurs just took a second half, uh, you know, uh, 4x4 to. Uh, They lost in the Champions League to Dortmund 1-0. And then they lost yesterday, speaking Saturday, the 18th, uh, to Southampton, who... (laughs) If you haven't looked at the standing, Southampton are in the cellar of the Premier League. They lost 1-0 to Southampton. So this is a Chelsea team that is desperate. They are struggling mightily. They they have eight wins, seven draws, and eight losses on the season. Um, and all with all of that said, I am scared as hell that that, 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 that they're going to come into the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next Sunday and get three points. How, how do you feel about this one? Honestly, for the first time in a long time, I don't feel threatened at all by Chelsea. Um, I think Chelsea Chelsea might be in more trouble than we want to think, right? It's poor on a form, they'll bounce back, blah, blah, blah. They have – first of all, they have a manager in charge. He's managing a bunch of superstars that probably don't 
have a whole lot of respect for him. Um, you have an owner who knows very little about the sport, seemingly, right? He he really is just playing football manager. Um, all these players they've brought in are from foreign leagues, right? Leagues that are not the Premier League or the majority of them. That does not usually bode well, historically. I'm thinking of teams like Everton right now, who three or four years ago I was hearing from Spurs fans, all of whom I love to death, if we could just start acting like Everton, you know, blah, 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 they're in a tough place. And I think Chelsea might not be too far off of that, right? They've brought in more talent, but you can't expect to bring in an entire team of guys from different setups and, and different tactical operations with no rhyme or reason to any of it other than here's the money, spend it, and expect good things to happen. So anyways, it's always nice to go on a rant about how shit Chelsea is, I guess, is what that was, but really to get to get to your to to get back to my answer to your question i am i'm feeling good because i'm not threatened at all by this team i think they are shit it is really interesting when we look back to match week two when these two teams met at stanford bridge and think about um everything that went on in that match like we forget that was this season that both antonio conte and thomas tuchel nearly came to blows following Mm -hmm. a late header a very very late header by harry kane to get a point at Stamford Bridge in what we all looked at at the time as just a massive, massive accomplishment. Oh my gosh. We went on the road and battled back twice from being a goal down against Chelsea and got a two, two draw with a late, late, late header. And, and then the managers almost fought each other in the handshake mm-hmm. line afterwards. And everyone was kind of looking forward to the rematch between these two teams. Well, first of all, uh, a point against this team that is struggling so mightily doesn't look nearly as good as it did in the moment. No. <laughs> but but at the same time, neither of those two managers are going to be uh, at the helm next Sunday when these two teams play because Antonio Conte is still recovering in Italy and Thomas Tuchel isn't even in charge there anymore. It's Graham Potter. So it, it's, it is kind of wild how quickly things change in football as, as we all expected. Not only would that be just a massive result for our season and now it's just kind of like, Oh yeah, it's a good point, but it wasn't as nearly as good of a point as we thought. And also, the managers will not be getting that uh, <laughs> that not so friendly rematch that we might have thought they would have been uh, either. But it's just a uh, it's it's also just interesting to see how much Chelsea's team has changed since then as well, and and how yeah. how different it will look come next Sunday. But yeah, Chelsea str- look. If we want to talk about Chelsea struggles, I'm I'm all on board. I'm 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 really in favor of it. Um, they, I don't think, have any chance of, of catching up. I think the team you got to worry about is Liverpool. They're they're starting to find a little bit of a run of form uh, for, for their struggles. But um, Newcastle are, are really my only concern right now, and they don't even play next weekend, as I mentioned earlier in the show, because they've got the League Cup final um, against Manchester United. So uh, I, I'm, I'm appreciating that Spurs are taking care of their business, at least this week. We'll have to see how it goes next week. I Like you say, you're confident – I'm more confident than I normally would be. Don't get me wrong. But still, when you look at, at, at those blue shirts across the way, I think, oh, this is, this is going to be nervy. This is going to be a little bit dodgy for me. Yeah, don't get me wrong. We could go out and play terribly. I have every reason to believe deep down in my heart that we could just play fucking terribly and get our ass kicked. Don't get me wrong. But I, I do not feel threatened by Chelsea is the best way that I can explain the situation, right? And because of that, I think there's every reason to think if we go in and don't act like shitheads, we can get a result in that match. But 
that's hard to say with this club too. I mean, yeah. as much as I'm kind of bantering them, I, I am being totally serious when I say that we could easily lose this match, but I'm not threatened by Chelsea. Tottenham Hotspur FC in 2023. Don't act like shitheads. That's kind of all yeah. we're asking at this point. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that would be great. Please. And today, and today they didn't. They didn't act like shitheads. They got a well-deserved and solid 2-0 victory over West Ham, uh, which of which we were very grateful and thankful for. I'm I I am gonna have a much better week than I did last week because of this result. Uh, it, it's uh it 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 delights me to say that uh Spurs are in the top four and just gotta keep keep plugging along and going for it. Um, we will be back with you after that match to talk about it. Uh, there will be lots to talk about. I'm sure uh, it, it's always, it's always new. It's always newsworthy and noteworthy when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, this time, uh, even midweek, we thought we would be talking about Antonio Conte still with this team and he's now gone back away. So the, uh, the roller coaster of a season uh, will continue. But uh, until then for Scott, he is at DSM Spurs. I am Andrew. I am at Aesthetica. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. Leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. Uh, until then, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>